0: So last, uh, I guess two or three weeks ago, we started a new series titled, We Are the Church. Uh, And so if you're visiting this morning, you're kind of checking out church, checking out Christianity, uh, it's a great series to be a part of because you get kind of a front row look at what do we as a church value. Uh, And so we've been talking about what is it that the church is supposed to do? What's the church supposed to be about? And it's one of those things that when the church is doing what God intended it. The church is this incredible force, this incredible opportunity for love and good in our community. But by the same token, or on the reverse side, when the people of God, when the church doesn't do what God called us to do, The church can be incredibly damaging to people. So this is one of those series that we're looking at because we are a part of God's bigger church, and we want to make sure that we get this right so that we're doing what God would have us do. So the first week we talked about what Jesus says is, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we want to talk about that, and what does that look like to be a part of building God's church? Last week, if you were here, we talked about the church as a family, and one of the best ways to live out being a family in terms of within the context of the church is in groups, life groups, small groups, men's groups, women's groups, uh, home groups, and uh, Dave talked about that a little bit. Uh, I've been in a small group since I became a Christian many years ago, 35, 40 years ago, And I would encourage you to be a part of a small group. Those folks who are around you to help encourage you makes an incredible difference in your life. It's been an incredible difference in my life. So see or sign up online for that. One of the things we've been talking about uh, as we talk about what is the church is we ask this question. It says, if you want to know what the church should do, what the church should be about, then look at the life of Jesus. Because what Jesus did is what the church does now that Jesus is not walking the earth. Jesus put it this way. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. That those of us who believe in him, those of us, the church, who follow him, we do what Jesus did on the earth. And so one of the things that Jesus did is he reached out to people and he shared the message of salvation. He shared the message of the gospel. And one of the places that he did that that's recorded is in John chapter 4, as he has an interaction with this woman. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at that story this morning. So if you brought your Bible, open up to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, you can open up your phone apps, and it'll also be here. Uh, I would encourage you to, when you walked in, you got a note sheet, I encourage you to take notes on this. Uh, I'm going to give like 1,500 points this morning. Uh, I narrowed it down from like 15 to 10. But there's a lot, uh, and I think you may want to remember some of it. But I, um, I actually want to start in the middle of the story. Uh, so I, I assume that everybody has seen a movie, right? Everybody seen a movie? Okay, good. Very responsive. All right. Has everybody seen a movie? Yeah. Thank you. Whew. Okay. Has everybody seen a movie that starts out, not movie, but lots of movies, it starts out like with this scene... And then whatever it is, there's like a guy falling out of an airplane and without a parachute and he dives over and he gets a parachute off of somebody else and then he falls to the ground, you know. and And then it'll stop there and then it'll say three months earlier, seven months earlier, two days earlier. Have you all seen a movie like that? Good. Thank you for that responsiveness over there. I appreciate that. I need that feedback. Right. So you've seen those movies where it starts in the middle like this is what's happening and then it goes back to the beginning and say how do we get from point A to point B and then the movie will finish after that. So what I want to do this morning is I want to do essentially that. I want to start in the middle of this story of the gospel of John. In, this is John chapter 4 and I'm going to start in verse 39. And it says this says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So that's kind of the middle towards the end of the story. But what happens is you've got this woman who basically says to her town, She says, come see the man who told me everything that I ever did. And then they come, and then all these people place their faith in Jesus as the Savior of the world. And this woman, as we'll come to find out, and, and if we could kind of put this in a movie, you would see by her looks that she is in a difficult spot. That she has lived a very hard and difficult life. And yet she says this one phrase, come and see the man who told me about my life. And all the people from this town flock and say, something has changed about this woman. Why is her life so different? And they can see it and they want to find out the answer. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the beginning of the story and we're going to see how her interaction with Jesus got her to this point. So, ready? Two hours earlier. See, isn't that dramatic? Dun, dun, dun. There we go. Two hours earlier. So we are in John chapter four, verse three and four. It says this: it says He or Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, one of the things that I mentioned before, I'm again, and you'll see it all throughout, is that we do what Jesus did. So we're going to look at this, and we're going to see, look at this and say, what did Jesus do as he interacted with this woman? And then how do we do those same types of things? And then we're going to see all these different points. Now, John tells us, the narrator here, he says that Jesus was going from Judea to Galilee, right? And in order to go from Judea to Galilee, uh, there was a place in between called Samaria. But the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along right that they were constantly at odds with each other not in a physical battle sort of way but just they stayed apart anytime they came together they're like where this is this doesn't work They were kind of like oil and water. And they had differences of religion, differences of culture, uh, and it kind of stemmed from a while back earlier where they both believed in the first part of the Old Testament and then the Samaritans took their own path and said, no, we don't believe that. We're going to worship at this different mountain. We're not going to worship in Jerusalem. And so they were basically viewed as kind of half breeds or off-limits to the Jews. Now, as John narrates this for us, he writes, it says, and he had, so Jesus had to pass through Samaria. And he was going from uh, Galilee, which is down here, to up to uh, Judea. So he was kind of making a northern path. But he, he says he had to go through Samaria. Now, if you were part of this culture and you kind of understood, and we kind of have to learn about the culture to understand it, that word or that phrase, he had to, you would kind of sort of respond in your head, no, he didn't. Nobody has to go through Samaria. Like we all know if we're going from Judea to Galilee, we all know that we go around Samaria. Like you just leave time, you take the extra time, nobody goes through Samaria, nobody. But yet John says Jesus had to go through Samaria. And so what John is setting up for us, and we'll see as this story unfolds, He's he's, he's saying he had to go there because there was a divine appointment that Jesus had in Samaria. So he had to go this direction. You know, it's one of those things like for us that sometimes the Holy Spirit will prompt us to do something, right? It's when when you get that sense like God is telling me, it's in my heart, it's in my head, I can't let this go. He's just on me. It's like, you you gotta do this, right? And it's just that we go, This has got to be from God, because that's a weird thought. Like, this is from God, and so I've got to do this. Do what Jesus did, and follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. That we follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit in the same way that Jesus had to go through Samaria. About three weeks ago, I was driving out of my neighborhood, and I live in South Hills, kind of near the Bridge Road Shops. And so I was driving out of my neighborhood, uh, and it was one of those days where it sure seemed like the skies were going to open up and it was going to rain a ton. And so I'm driving out, and on the street, uh, there's this couple who are walking. And I don't recognize them, but I don't recognize a lot of people, but I don't recognize them, and, and I have this sort of prompting from the Holy Spirit, you ought to stop and offer them a ride. And so they're here, and I go by them. And in my mind, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And, and I'm part of a men's group, and we talk about what we call the 10-second rule, right? The 10-second rule is when, when the Holy Spirit prompts you to do something, do it within 10 seconds, because if you don't, then you're going to talk yourself out of doing it. But I, I go by these people. I'm like, and in my head, I'm going, they're probably close to home. They probably have umbrellas. They, that'd be weird to give them a ride. They wouldn't know who I was. It's not, it may, maybe it's not going to rain. Now, I've got all these things, and so I drive past them. And I get to like 9.5 seconds, and I'm like, Arr! stop the car, and I and I back the car up, and I roll the window down, and I'm like, hey. Do you guys need a ride? It looks like it's going to rain. They're like, oh, that would be great. So they they get in the back seat of my car, and uh, I take them downtown. turns out they're from out of town, and they had wandered up the carriage trail, and they were trying to figure out, how do we get back downtown? And I hadn't had them in the car for more than two minutes, and it just pours down the rain, just absolute deluge down and, and But what was neat is on the way there, I got to talk to them a little bit about the gospel and why I picked them up, and they were thankful, and it was just one of those God things, right? And, and if, if the gospel writer John was writing my story, he would have said Matt left his neighborhood and had to pick up the couple walking by the side of the road. And so as you, as we as the church, look for gospel conversations, listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in who he says to talk to and what he says to do, and just respond and follow his leading. Then it says this. It says, Jesus, weird as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Now, again, I said I'm going to give you a whole bunch of points, just real short on this one. Do what Jesus did and love even when I'm tired. And I don't know about you, but like when I'm tired, when I'm exhausted, it says he was weird from his journey. Like, I don't want to be around people, right? I just like, just stay away from me. I'm just tired. I think that's pretty normal of us. But yet what I love about Jesus is weary as he was from the journey, he enters into what will be a pretty significant spiritual conversation for him and for this woman. And so do what Jesus did and love even When I'm tired. Like I said, we've got like 10 points to get through. We'll keep moving. So that says this. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. He said, give me a drink. These three sentences tell us quite a bit about what's going on. So it says that it was the sixth hour, about the sixth hour. So that's noon, right? Now, it says that she came to draw water at the sixth hour. Now, that was very unusual. Again, there's a cultural thing that we don't see that I want to hopefully unpack for us. But noon, or the sixth hour, was the heat of the day for them. And so the women at this time, they would come and draw water. It was the woman's job in a kind of a household to draw water. And they would come to a well, and they would draw water. But they would always do it in the early morning. And kind of for two reasons. One is because it was cooler. But second, because... You needed the water throughout the day, right? Get it in the first thing. But she's here all alone at noon, which says a lot about her. And basically what it says is that she was an outcast, that she either wasn't welcome with the other women who would come first thing in the morning, or she didn't want to be with them because of the way that they treated her. And I say that because part of what Jesus did, and we see this and again, we'll see it unfold more and more, do what Jesus did and care for broken people. This was a woman whose life was incredibly broken in the way that she lived her life, and we'll see why. But Her life was broken, and you and I, we cross paths with people every day who are broken. The outside, it may look good, but at the inside, they're crumbling. On the outside may say one thing, inside may say something else, and they are brokenhearted, and some people wear it on their sleeves, but I would encourage you, to look for people who are broken and try and see and hear behind people's stories that we might be able to love like Jesus did in loving people who are broken. From these three sentences, we learn a number of different things about this woman. Right? We learn, first of all, that she's a woman. We learn, second of all, that she's a Samaritan. And then also that she's an outcast. Now, again, culturally... For Jesus to talk to this woman was way out of bounds. Like he was crossing so many barriers in talking to her. That men didn't have this kind of conversation with women. That Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. Those were the biggest things. And yet Jesus comes and he speaks to her and he asks her this question. He says, uh, would you give me a drink of water? And and again, the Jewish culture was all about these dietary and sanitary um, cleanliness laws, and so to even share a cup of water would be way out of bounds. And I share that because of this, is do what Jesus did and cross barriers. Cross barriers. If we want to share the gospel with people, it's going to mean crossing barriers. It's going to mean getting out of our comfort zone, and our comfort zone, it could just be the people that we normally talk to. Like, I like to talk to people about this or this kind of people. Like, we all have sort of our people. And what we see about Jesus is he didn't have just his people. He's like, I'm going to talk to this person, even though she's a woman, even though that's a cultural barrier I'm stepping over, even though she's a Samaritan and I'm a Jew, I'm going to talk to her. And we have those same opportunities to get out of our comfort zone and to be with and to talk to people and care for people who are very different from us. Continue in verse 9. It says, The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? So she recognizes this is unusual. And then John tells us, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you give me a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water so jesus says if you knew who i was you would ask me and i could give you living water now there's two um meetings of living water and one meaning of living water is kind of the way that we would view it in terms of a spiritual living water. If you've read this story before, if you kind of think about Jesus, he's going to offer this living water. But there's another way that living water means, uh, and it's the idea of water that is flowing, right? So it's, it's an expression here. So if you have water that's at the bottom of a well, it's, it's not flowing. It's, it's just down there. Whereas if you have water in a stream or a creek, they would say that is living water because... It is moving. And so what Jesus is doing, he's kind of testing, testing the water, so to speak, with her, and, kind of, and putting this out there and saying, you would ask me for living water. And he leaves that response to her. And so we as the reader are like, well, is she going to grab on to what he's talking about, the spiritual, or is she going to go with kind of just the physical response? So there's this. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So she's not quite on board. She thinks that somehow he has access to living water, flowing water, which is fresher, better, cleaner water. She thinks that he has access to that. She doesn't quite get it. So he responds Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Talking about the water in the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So now Jesus has turned the conversation. We're not just talking about H2O water. We're talking about water, spiritual water that will give and well up to eternal life. Again, we're following the example of Jesus. Do what Jesus did and move the conversation to spiritual so he takes this opportunity and he moves it from the water and daily life stuff to the spiritual. And as you think about the relationships that you have, we talk about regular stuff all the time. We talk about football, we talk about the flood, and we talk about elections. We talk about our kids, we talk about sports. We talk about, you know, we just talk about life. We talk about cars, we talk about you know all these different things cooking and what we're buying we we talk about all those things just in the normal natural conversations of life but what we want to do is move those conversations to spiritual conversations and that's what jesus is doing here with this woman he's moving it to a spiritual conversation And so on a practical level, how do we do that? I think there's some ways that we can transition conversations to spiritual conversations and kind of put that out there to see if that person or God is working there and takes it in a spiritual direction. You know, one thing is you can just talk about church. In church today, we did this. In church today, they showed this video, and you just bring in church into the conversation. Let someone know, this is a great way, let someone know that you're praying for them. They mention a Uh, uh, an aunt or an uncle or a problem or a situation or a kid and say, hey, hey, I'm going to be praying for that. And actually pray for that. It may open a door to a conversation. Share how God has helped you. You know, maybe there's something going on and you prayed and God answered and you're able to share that, right? Or maybe you just talk about when you became a Christian and you've got that opportunity to just share your story. But it's this idea of look for these opportunities to move from the everyday stuff that we all talk about how can i move this to a bit of a spiritual conversation and just allow the holy spirit to move in that other person so here's her response the woman said to him sir give me this water so that i will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water so she thinks that he's offering her she still doesn't get it she's like give me this water. She thinks he's offering like magic water. Like if you give me this magic water, then I don't have to come to this well anymore. And clearly she doesn't like to come to the well because it's just, for her, it's a reminder of the misery of her life, that she's an outcast. And every time I come to the well at noon, when it's hot, alone, I know that my life is not good, that my soul is not satisfied. So if I didn't have to come here for this, think I'd be better off she has this need in her life and we're gonna see a little bit more about the need but we all have this need for living water she doesn't know yet what that means we know because we're a bit outside the story that living water is that Jesus Christ can satisfy every need in our lives that what's the answer to life what's the solution to life it's Jesus Christ and the hope that he offers And you and I in this room, we know that. You guys who are watching online, you know that. But there are hundreds of people that we interact every day with who don't know that, who don't know that Jesus is the answer to life. And we get the privilege of having that and presenting that to people. So she's missing out on understanding this living water. And so then Jesus says this. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is true. So now this woman's story becomes clear to us. Now we know why she's at the well by herself that she's had five husbands and they've all left her. And if you think about like in our culture, and this was obviously a culture that was much less prone to divorce than we are, but even in our world, like, do you know somebody who's been divorced five times? Probably not, right? And and this woman, and she's living her life, and I'm certain that what went through her mind daily is, What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Why do men keep leaving me? Am I not good enough? Maybe the next man will love me. Am I not loved? And then the sixth guy she's living with and not married to. But here's what I love about this: is Jesus knew this, right? Because he was God. That's the one thing, like we don't know things about other people because we're not God, right? But Jesus knew this. And now the woman knows that Jesus knew this. And he has this conversation with her, knowing that she's had five husbands and living with a sixth. And then this comes to light for the woman. And think about how she felt at that moment, that she probably felt incredibly loved. Because Jesus knew her past, knew her junk, knew her inside and outside, and all this stuff, and yet he still had this conversation with her. And I think that's a great example for us. Do what Jesus did and look for the real needs of others. He knew her real needs because he was supernaturally God. We don't know that. But when we can love people and care for people, even though they've got this background, even though they did this, even though whatever it is, whatever junk is inside them, whatever junk is in their past, If we can see people as God sees them, we can love them well. And that's what Jesus was doing. So now that he's revealed who he is, the woman kind of gets on board with the spiritual side of things. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And so now she's on board, and she's trying to figure out, and one of the differences, one of the big differences between the Jews and the Samaritans is the uh, Jews worshipped in uh, Jerusalem at the temple, whereas the Samaritans worshipped at a place called, called Mount um, Gerizim. And, and she's like, which is the right place? Because now that she sees that he's a prophet or something more than just a man, she's like, I want to get on the right board, right place, right direction. Which of these is the right place? That's her question. But here's Jesus' answer. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So as he unpacks what's going on, there's a few things I want us to notice here. First of all, he says, it doesn't matter where you worship. It's not about Jerusalem or this mountain. Where you worship is not what's important. He says, but here's what is important, that you worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And by that, he is saying, and he says, and salvation comes from the Jews. He's saying to her pretty clearly, very clearly, salvation is not the way of the Samaritans. Salvation is the way of the Jews. And I share that with you because we live in a very pluralistic kind of society where anybody can be right. It's like, hey, your right is good for you. Your truth is good for you. Your truth is good for you. But what Jesus is saying is, no. There's not lots of paths to God. There's one path, and it's through Jesus. He hasn't said that yet, but he will in a moment. He said it's through Jesus Christ. And so as we have conversations, we need to understand that part of the gospel, of sharing the gospel, is that we share the one true gospel, that Jesus Christ is where life and eternal life is found. So the woman responds. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. I who speak to you am He. So here's the next part is do what Jesus did and share the true gospel. Share the true gospel. A great place to find this is in 1 John 5, 11 and 12, if you want to jot this in your notes. It says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life, right? So that's very simple. If you have the Son, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you have eternal life. And if you don't have the Son, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you don't have eternal life. And that helps us to, you know, as we share the gospel, we point people towards that. Like, this is what God said. This is not my opinion or my thoughts or my whatever. This is what God's word says. If you have the son, then you have life. And if you don't have the son, then you don't have life. And then the question is, do you have the son? And the conversation goes from there. In the next verse, the disciples are going to come back. They're going to have a little bit of dialogue. We're going to skip a few verses. Um, But there's one more thing that I wanted to share about do what Jesus did, but I can't take it from one verse, and you'll see why. Uh, The last part, or the next one, is do what Jesus did and have a dialogue, not a monologue. Have a dialogue, not a monologue. In other words, we don't want to just regurgitate the gospel. Here it is, and we just kind of spew it out. Create a, a dialogue not a monologue. And we see that that's what happened with Jesus. That it goes back and forth. I think 11 or 12 different times the conversation goes back and forth between them. And as we share the gospel, we want to make it in a conversational sort of style. And it may be like in one setting like this, or it could be over a couple of weeks or a couple of conversations, you know, as you're driving in a car and you talk about something, and then you're standing watching a ball game together and you talk about something, you're at the office, or you're at a play date with, you know, another mom. But we have these conversations. They're ongoing conversations. And then it says this. Then the disciples came back. They marveled at that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Again, we see the confirmation of, The male-female conversation was just out of sorts, crossing barriers. So the woman left her jar of water and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. And so that gets back to where we started at the beginning of what happened two hours earlier. This is the conversation. And she says, come and see. And all these people come out. And they see Jesus and they place their faith in him. And they did that because of this woman's story. So I want to end with one final application point. And instead of do what Jesus did, we're going to switch it around and switch from your outline as well, is do what the woman did and share your story. Do what the woman did and share your story. You know, the most powerful thing that you can do in reaching out is share your story. Because your story of how you found the living water, if you will, is your story. It's how God worked in your life. You know, when we think about sharing the gospel, sometimes we think, well, I don't know all the answers. Like, I don't understand the book of Revelation. I don't understand substitutionary atonement. I don't understand this. I don't understand bodily this. I don't. There's a lot that we don't understand. There's a lot that I don't understand. But you know what I do know? Is I know my story. I know that when I was a 15-year-old kid, I heard the gospel and God got a hold of my life, and my life is completely different than it was before. And you have a story as well. And so as you talk about your life, share your story. In the same way that this woman shared her story, you can share your story. What has God done in your life? Because people can't argue with that. This morning I've shared, I don't know, eight, nine, ten points. Um, It can be a bit overwhelming. uh, And so I want to encourage you to take the Panera way, and uh, you pick two, right? So look at your outline and pick two things. Say, what two things, if I did these two things, would make the biggest difference in me being a part of God's call for the church to share the gospel? What would those two things be? And then go and live those two things. Because the fact is, if we do this, if we love people well, if we initiate these conversations, if we care, if we cross borders, if we listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, if we do these things, we will change our community. Our community will be different because of the way that we love the people around us. So let's join with God, joining with Jesus in building his church as we share the gospel. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thanks for this morning. Thank you for this story, and it is just so rich with truth. And uh, God, I pray that you would help us to live these truths, out, to do what Jesus did, to love well, to care well, to cross barriers, to get out of our comfort zone, and help us to do what this woman did, and just share our story of God's impact on our lives. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.